0: That can be another difficulty with being the outside partner is feeling like every person is not being equally valued. The nested relationship ha- probably has a longer history, has more resources invested. You know, as the outside partner, you don't have very much leverage with that pinned partner as opposed to the nested relationship, but you're still a human being that matters as much. Hi, welcome to Making
1: Polyamory Work. I'm Libby Sinback, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I'm a queer polyamorous mom and a relationship transformation coach, and I'm here to help you if you're struggling, if you want your relationships to be more nourishing, more functional, more authentic, and full of love. On this show, I go deep into what actually makes polyamorous relationships work because I believe relationships are at the core of our well-being as humans. I think love is why we're here and how we heal. And I'm so excited to bring my friend Mary onto the show today for another listener question. Um, Mary is my friend who I've known for many years years, and I brought her into this episode because, as you will find as you listen to her speak, she is full of so much wisdom and thoughtfulness, and I have been very grateful to have her as a friend, and so I hope you will enjoy our conversation today.
0: Mary, do you want to introduce yourself? I am a moderately public polyamorous person myself, having yes. a years. In the Washington Post Date Lab as a polyamorous person. So I'm excited to do this. A polyamorous Sunday school teacher, I might add. Yeah. Yes. That was the fun juxtaposition they decided to take.
1: <laughs> Mary, is it okay if, if I link that Date Lab article? Absolutely. In my... Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here. And so I'm going to read this listener question and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Great. So I had this listener email me a while back and I have changed the message that she wrote. So it's not going to be her message verbatim because there were a lot of personal details in there. And I wanted this to be anonymous. But as we'll see as I go through it, it's a pretty common thing that happens. So it, you know, I think it'll resonate with a lot of people. In this story, there's a person named Jill. That's the listener she wrote to me. So Jill is married with kids, and she is married to her wife, and they have been polyamorous for about six years. A good friend of hers, who we'll call Gray, who is also polyamorous, introduced Jill to his wife, Lucy, who had only recently been dating outside the marriage, although Gray had been dating a little bit more, so maybe Gray was a little bit more experienced. Gray was at first very encouraging of Jill and Lucy to start dating, and then Lucy and Jill hit the NRE really hard and really fell for each other and got really serious. Due to various mishaps that weren't gone into detail in the email, in part because this is Lucy's first serious relationship outside of her nested relationship, Gray started feeling really threatened by Jill and by Jill and Lucy's relationship. And so he asked Lucy, his wife, to back off of the relationship and put things on pause so that Lucy and Gray could work on their relationship. And Gray even threatened to leave if she didn't do that. So Lucy did agree to do that. And even though she doesn't want to lose Jill, she just she loves her husband and doesn't want to break up her family. So, Due to Gray being so easily triggered by her relationship with Jill and now an ultimatum, do this or else, Lucy feels like she just has no choice but to do what Gray is asking of her. Lucy says to Jill that she feels forced and even manipulated by Gray's jealous behavior and continues to text Jill all the time saying how unfair this all feels to her, but that she doesn't see that she can do anything else. Jill wants to know what she should do. She's really frustrated by the whole situation. She's really angry with Gray. She doesn't have nice things to say about Gray right now. And of course, Gray is her friend too. She's also just really upset because Lucy's asked her to back off from the relationship gracefully and just kind of wait. And she's finding that really hard. She's really worried about Lucy and her relationship. She's worried that she's also allowing herself to be mistreated in this situation and is wondering if there's another course of action she should take. That is what's going on. So we don't know anything about that kind of situation, do we, Mary? No.
0: (laughs) This doesn't sound familiar to me at all. I can't draw from personal experience whatsoever being the outside partner sort of feeling like I am placed in opposition to the nested partner.
1: Yeah. Well, and to be clear for people listening, that is how we're going to describe these two different kinds of relationships. Instead of saying primary, secondary, because I don't want to presume hierarchy, although hierarchy definitely seems to be showing up in this situation, I would prefer to use the terms nested partner, outside partner, because I think that will be more clear to people. So when we're talking about Jill, We're talking about the outside partner. We're talking about Lucy and Gray. We're going to talk about the nested partners. No, I've been there too. It is a doozy situation for sure. What are some things that you have noticed and experienced about why this kind of situation is really hard?
0: Well, I can certainly identify with the feeling of unfairness because in some ways, the nested partner is ascribing really bad motives to Jill, to your listener here. Yeah. She's a threat to the relationship and Gray is her friend too. I mean, she likely wants the nested relationship to succeed just as much as they do and supports them. And I know in my case, that feels particularly bad to feel as if I'm being framed as a bad actor.
1: Yeah. Or even not necessarily a bad actor, but a draw away from the nested relationship. If Lucy's giving attention to Jill, then that means that there's less attention for Gray. Or if Lucy and Jill are really crazy for each other, then that inherently is threatening or harmful to the relationship. I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily about Jill being a bad actor, but that the relationship is a threat is definitely Mm -hmm. real, for sure. I think that's zero-sum thinking.
0: Absolutely. And it negates any possibility that the outside relationship can actually support and strengthen the nested relationship in some ways.
1: Yeah. Although, although also (laughs) on the flip side, I think that a lot of times that's like sort of a selling point of polyamory is that the outside relationship can strengthen the nested relationship. And I think that that then sends the resources in one direction, right? When I think it should be both ways. Why doesn't the nested relationship strengthen the outside relationship too? That's a thing that I always look for is like, do you not see that it is in everybody's interest for this ecosystem to function and that it all benefits each other?
0: That can be another difficulty with being the outside partner is feeling like every person is not being equally valued. The nested relationship probably has a longer history, has more resources invested, you know, as the outside partner. You don't have very much leverage with that partner as opposed to the nested relationship, but you're still a human being that matters as much. So I actually really like your point that a holistic view of how can all of these relationships support each other is really a lot healthier.
1: Yeah, well, I love that you point out, though, the leverage thing, because I think that it's interesting to me because I think both the outside relationship and the nested relationship both have their own gravity. Because, you know, the outside relationship is new and shiny and exciting, and it can feel like this escape, it can feel like this thing that is just sucking all the air out of the room sometimes. You know, whereas a nested relationship is this thing that's been around for a long time and it's rooted, I mean, if they've got kids together, then it's rooted in routine and domesticity and obligation and probably has a bunch of very deep set patterns that maybe are getting disrupted and jangled in all kinds of ways and I've seen this before, that the nested partnership can sometimes feel more fragile than the new shiny, exciting thing when you're on the other side, when you're on the other side of it. But when, of course, you're the the outside partnership, you feel very precarious, you feel very disposable, you feel very ungrounded because you don't have the domesticity, you don't have the longevity, you don't have the legal obligations, you don't have the shared resources. Both of them have their gravity. <laughs> and And it's a bummer. Again, I think it's a bummer that Those things feel like threats on both sides. And that in this case, it sounds like Gray is literally weaponizing it, is basically saying, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to take the kids if you don't back off of this relationship and using that as leverage.
0: I think it's such a losing strategy. Right. But you make the good point that we are unfortunately in the shoes of the outside partner, Jill, who asked the question. And I think it's important to validate that sense of unfairness. Yeah. But To do your absolute best not to let yourself get drawn into the competitive framing that it sounds like the nested partner is making. Because again, given the leverage, you'll likely lose the competition anyway. And sometimes you might be reluctant to take the space because you're like, I don't want to reward what looks like bad behavior from the nested partner, or I don't want to lose But the truth is that everybody's losing in this situation. Like there's, there's plenty of pain to go around. So not let your choices be clouded by that, by like losing the competitive aspect.
1: Yeah. And I think that can be a really tricky thing to be dealing with because I, I think that in this case, if it were me, I've been in this situation where I've been in a relationship with a nested partner and my metamor was very uncomfortable with the relationship and had a really hard time with it. And You know, again, from my end is feeling very ungrounded, you know, I felt very ungrounded and felt very kind of persecuted, I guess, but I felt that unfairness, like you said, and I think you can get caught in a trap, it can be a trap, it's a trap, (laughs) to feel like a victim, because the thing that can happen when you feel like a victim is that then it can flip into feeling righteousness about it. And so then you can get caught in this right, wrong, righteousness, I'm a victim, I shouldn't be the one losing out right now sort of mindset, then that can kind of flip you over into that win-lose framework. If there should be a winner and a loser, it should be me because I'm not the one doing anything bad and wrong.
0: Right. So I find the winner-loser framing to be pretty not helpful. And the other thing that I notice is or what the only helpful course of action is to focus on the direct relationships. Right. And so in this case, Jill has a direct relationship, both with gray as a friend and with Lucy as the romantic partner. And I think it is probably in this case. So in a lot of these cases, you don't have that direct relationship with the metamor. metamor. Right. Mm -hmm. But in this case, I think it would probably be worth at least one conversation with gray. Like, hi, we're friends, you know, like I'm a good person operating in good faith. And I don't want to threaten your marriage. I care about both of (laughs) you, Lucy. It might be worth trying to lower the temperature that way. Yeah. uh, At least once. But also something to remember is that your direct relationship is with Lucy, the hinge partner. And something that I realized after operating in a situation like this over a period of time is I had to recognize that the hinge partner wasn't like an honest narrator all the time, not necessarily Mm. through any purposeful manipulation, but it's easy to paint the metamore partner as the bad guy who's making me do this (laughs) as opposed to like taking a harder look at your own boundaries or where you're drawing those things, or that you're just too scared to be honest with the metamore partner right. about what's going on. And in some cases, you know, having the hinge partner disclose things to me about the metamor partner that probably the metamorph partner like never wanted me to hear or expected me to hear and was saying things in confidence, and that doesn't help the situation at all. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess one piece of advice there would be to the outside partner if you are noticing, and this doesn't happen with all hinge partners, but it sounds a little bit like this is that Lucy is throwing Gray under the bus a lot, you know? And you're right. I think that there are two things that are important that Jill do in this situation. The first one is to maybe treat with skepticism that Gray's the bad guy and it's all Gray and that, that Lucy doesn't have any responsibility here. So, I think the first thing is, you know, Jill should treat with some skepticism that Gray's the bad guy and that it's all Grey. And like you said, treat Lucy like maybe she's an unreliable narrator. But also that maybe Jill needs to set a boundary about the kinds of things that she's willing to hear from Lucy. Because if Lucy is just sort of using Jill as a place to bitch about her marriage... That's not appropriate. That's a job of a therapist or maybe a really good friend, but I don't feel like that's appropriate to do that with Jill. And I feel like then you're sort of bringing Jill on your side of making Lucy the victim, right? Lucy's the victim. Oh, poor woe is me. My partner won't let me do this, and my partner won't let me do that. And it's all their fault. And I'm so sorry, but there's nothing I can do. I said this in my episode about hinges. If that is something that's going on with you as a hinge, then you are not claiming your agency. You are not owning your own decisions. And I, if I were Jill, would not allow that to stand. And I actually remember saying this to one of my partners. This was years and years ago, but I remember. My partner and I, we had some plans together, and we were really looking forward to them. And then something came up in my partner's nested relationship, and he needed to take care of it. And he said, such and such, oh, my partner is making me do this, and I have to do it, so I have to cancel with you. And I was like, hey, no, I want you to say that over again. And here's what I want you to say. I literally did this. I said... You have a commitment to your partner that you're really happy about because you love them and they need you. And you have decided that it is in your interest and in line with your priorities to meet this commitment. And that means that you have to cancel with me. But that's your decision. Nobody's making you. This is based on things that are important to you. And I want them to be important to you because I care about you. And so if you're making a decision to do something that's important to you, that means you have to cancel with me. Fine. You have some incompatible commitments and I'm on the losing end this time. That's fine. It's a problem if I'm always on the losing end. You know, it's a problem if I'm always being dropped last minute, if I'm being treated as disposable, but I want you to own your choices here, (laughs) that this is your choice.
0: And taking that one step further also is the outside person to remember your agency, because I think yeah. in a relationship involving three people with a hinge, you can start to center the hinge too and forget that, oh, I actually am an agent who doesn't have to accept these choices or, or who can say, you know, for a romantic partner, I want a romantic partner who is able to show up in these ways. And if you can't, Because of other commitments you have to other people, which that can happen, you know. Sure. (laughs) Love is infinite, but time and resources are not. Your commitments might conflict. And if you're not able to show up that way, then I don't want to maintain the relationship, or I actually do want to take that step back. And it's not because someone else is making you, it's just because of this is the way that I want to participate in an intimate relationship.
1: Yeah. That's, I think, the biggest thing here is that ultimately, What's going on in the nested relationship is outside of Jill's control, right? There's nothing she can do. She can't step in and tell those two folks to sort out whatever it needs to be sorted out between them so that she can have her relationship with Lucy free and clear. I mean, I would do a lot to try to empower Lucy, again, own her own agency and own her own decisions. But like you said, also, I think it's so important to get clear on what am I willing to tolerate? What is actually poor treatment of me? And it's so easy as the outside partner to offload the pain that my partner is actually causing me because of their inability to prioritize me, their inability to stick up for themselves, their inability to be, like you said, possibly fully honest with their other partner about how they feel about me and really like say, hey, this is really important to me and you need to get on board with this. I think that would upset me, and but it's so easy to offload that to the metamor than to yeah. you know than to say, hey, actually, what you're showing me through your behavior is that this relationship, while you might love me a lot, is not possible for you. It's not actually something that you're capable of doing, or it's not something that you are willing to withstand the friction and discomfort of your partner having a hard, you know, your nested partner having a hard time with it and dealing with these conflicting needs. And if you're just gonna, you know, make it you know, again, kind of erase your own agency and not take a stand for me or take a stand for your partner or take a stand for yourself, then I don't want to be in a relationship like that. And at the end of the day, I think that's the most important thing is to get really clear on the kinds of boundaries that you have. And I want to say that doesn't mean that you have to end the relationship. Right. Hypothetically, okay, Jill kind of says, okay, I'm going to wait around and I'm going to see what's possible. Well, what I would do in that scenario is I would reorder within myself, okay, what are my hard lines of what I will and won't accept from my partner in terms of treatment? And then I communicate that, like, here's what's okay for me. Here's what's not okay for me. What's okay for me is if we have a plan and you need to cancel, here are the circumstances under which that's reasonable for me. Here are the circumstances where that's not. If the outside partner you know, has plans, but then the nested partner is having a bad day, and then you cancel cuz the nested partner's having a bad day. Well, that's just going to make me feel discarded. Well, what if I have a bad day? You're not going to cancel your your family dinner or your kid's soccer game because I'm having a bad day. So, you know, I would want that level of equity. Keep your commitments with me unless there's a good reason. Like if your kid's sick and needs to go to urgent care, okay, fine, cancel plans with me. So, that might be like, you know, one thing that I would do is I'd have some kind of clear lines of what's okay and not okay, how I want to be prioritized. And if it's clear that my partner can't prioritize me for a certain kind of relationship, then I'm not going to prioritize them. I might maintain the relationship with them, but I'm not going to sit around and keep my calendar open, hoping that they're going to find time to schedule with me. I'm going to make plans in my own life. I'm going to pursue other relationships. And so it might be like a more casual connection where I just don't invest as much of my time and energy. And again, I maybe set boundaries around the amount of time we communicate, the level of depth that we communicate. Certainly, I would set boundaries around how much I'm willing to hear about the nested partnership and how much processing and support I'm willing to give around it. Because I think that that can happen a lot where the outside partner can just feel very used.
0: That absolutely can happen. That is definitely (laughs) something that I can identify with. I do want to make Maybe a small clarification, though, because I also yeah. think sometimes there is, you know, this happens in all kinds of human communities where where there's a general sense of what's like a good or bad choice. And Jill has framed the question this way of like, should I take a step back? Or is that, you know, a bad thing to do to wait and give them the space they want? And I don't think that's inherently a bad or weak thing to do. Like it's now totally okay to say, I really, you know, love this person and the possibilities with Lucy, and I'm willing to take this space back and wait and see where it goes. That's not necessarily a disempowered choice. There is a strong center taking care of myself way to make that same choice. You don't have to victimize yourself.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. I would say that You know, and I mean, I think that is a valid choice. And I think that also a thing that can make it empowered is to say, you know, actually, I don't know that I want to be connected with you and, and all enmeshed with you and proceeding in a deep relationship with you while things are messy in your other relationship. I don't actually think that's healthy for me because Maybe you're coming to a date with me and you've just had a big fight on your way out the door and then you're all flustered. And then it takes, you know, an hour for, you know, your nervous system to settle down and be able to be present with me. And that makes for a date that doesn't feel very good or makes me again, sort of feel like, well, I'm your therapist instead of your lover. And, you know, again, I would kind of examine if I were Jill, like, and that's the scenario. Why do I want that right now? You know, why do I feel like I want to kind of plant my flag in that situation when maybe that person just may not be ready for me? You know, they may not be ready for the kind of connection that I want to have. And that doesn't mean that you have to downgrade the love that you feel. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that I actually wrote back to this person when they wrote me kind of the first thing I said was I was like, look, I get it that you love this person. You love Lucy. She's really lit up your life. And mm-hmm. I think that when when somebody does that to you and just turns your world upside down and that you turn their world upside down it's really hard to think about letting that go. And I don't think you have to let go of the love. I think you might have to let go of it looking a particular way. Mm -hmm. But I think the love that you feel, the way it cracks your heart open, the things you've Mm -hmm. discovered about yourself and that they've discovered about themselves and the thing you've created together through this connection, I don't think you have to like shut all that down and close all that off just because it's not working out in this moment. Whatever glowing thing you saw in each other, you know, you can let that, Live inside your heart and kind of expand you and cherish that, even as you sort of live in the grief of, oh, but it's not fair right now. And it's because I mean, you know, and I think that that's what I would encourage Jill to do instead of being a victim is to say, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I have connected to this person in this deep and beautiful way. And how amazing. And yeah, it's a bummer that it's not going to look exactly the way that I want it to right now. But I really don't want to lose connection to what it opened up in my heart. And, and I mean, I don't know. Like when I think about this, I think about this idea of, and I'm, I'm going to do a whole episode about this, but like this idea of like the heart kind of wants what it wants, you know? Yes. You know? Well, <laughs> so and, so, and, and so the, the that phrase, the heart wants what it wants, the first time I ever heard it was Woody Allen said it. Right. Problematic. And, and that's very cringy because Woody Allen is a child molester. So the heart wants what it wants. From that phrase is gross, but the original The Heart Wants What It Wants, the original person who wrote that phrase was actually not Woody Allen. Do you know who it was? I don't. It's Emily Dickinson. Oh, (laughs) much better source. (laughs) Well, and she wrote it in a letter to her friend, and her friend's name was Mary, actually. She wrote a letter to her friend, and in the letter, she was writing to her friend because her friend was missing her husband terribly because he was away for a very long time. And Emily was trying to say, I'm here for you if you need me. I know this is really hard for you. I totally understand. Sometimes the heart just wants what it wants and you can't always have it. Yes. And I think that meaning is maybe a little more applicable in this situation than, okay, I'm in love. So I should just, it should be that I get to be with this person in the way that I want to in this moment right now. And it is unfair that Jill can't, but, you know, I think if you use Emily Dickinson's line of it's okay, your heart can want it and it's okay that your heart wants it. And you can make powerful, affirming boundaries to keep you from feeling abused or disposable. But I think that doesn't mean you have to close yourself off from your, from the love, you know?
0: I think that's as good a place to end that conversation (laughs) as (laughs) any.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mary, thanks for being here in it with me and sharing your wisdom. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you and we
0: haven't been
1: able to see each other in person as much since the pandemic, but I am looking forward to a future when we do.
0: I also look forward to that future and it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank
1: you so much for joining me today. If you have any thoughts about what we talked about or if you have a question that you would like answered on the show, please reach out to me. You can reach me via email at Libby at LibbySinback.com or via my website contact form, which is LibbySinback.com, or you can find me on social media. Uh, Instagram and Facebook are the places where I have accounts and you should be able to find me there. Um, Also, if you're interested in being a mystery guest to answer questions, uh, you can reach out to me as well, and we can talk about whether that would be a good fit for us. Um, I'll also say that if you're really loving these podcasts and finding them useful, but you want to get more help bringing some of the ideas and lessons into your life, this is the work I do with coaching clients every day. Um, I work with people one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, um, but I'm actually launching very soon a group program for folks who want you know, a deeper level of support than what's available on the podcast, but either can't afford or don't have the bandwidth to do um, one-on-one coaching. And it's going to be called the Relational Non-Monogamy Circle. And if you're interested in finding out more about it and finding out how you can sign up, the best place to go is to my website and sign up for my email list. Which, by the way, is brand new. I'm going to be launching, well, I have already launched a newsletter that's going to start going out every week. The first one came out this past Monday. And it's going to be going out every week from now on. Uh, And it's pretty short and sweet. I'm just going to be talking about one thing that I am listening to, somebody else's content, one thing that I am saying, so my content, and then one thing I'm doing. And the thing I'm really excited about that I'm doing right now is this relational non-monogamy circle that I want to invite you to if you're interested. Um, Folks who are on my email list get uh, First Dips on a spot in the program and I will be releasing it to the general public uh, a little while after that so if you want to get in front in the front of the line uh, sign up for my email list Um, last thing if you love this podcast and you think it might help someone you know share it with them share it with your family your friends uh, your Facebook groups whomever Your mom's parenting group. Your Sunday school. (laughs) Um, And also make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Uh, Also, it really helps me a lot if you write a review. And a place that I would love more reviews right now is actually on the Making Polyamory Work Facebook page. So if you wouldn't mind hopping over there and writing me a nice review, that would feel amazing. But um, it's also wonderful just to hear from you because many of you have written me privately to say that you find the podcast useful and that, that means a lot too and I read every single one of those alright that's it y'all thank you so much and see you soon